Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to another episode of Before Coffee. Roger's already on Discord, so let's go ahead and head in there and start the show. Is anybody there? I'm here. Alright. How long have you been up? I I I just woke just started, up. Just started talking. You called me and then hung up. I yeah, because I was trying to talk to you on here, but you weren't replying. Oh, it was like uh, rang twice and then stopped. That's all that happened. No, no, I mean you were here. You're on Discord. Yeah. I didn't even realize I was. Yeah. Oh, was it making noise? No, because if you don't speak after a certain amount of time, it puts you in the sleepy room, which is like the away from keyboard. I'm not here room. So you were in there. But I just dragged you up and then started screaming at my microphone. Really <laughs> going. Yeah. Okay. Withstand that for thirty minutes. Well, it would be nice if we could get to thirty minutes because our episodes are getting longer and longer. At least I got my, at least I got my stories ready. Okay. Alright, I'm gonna get the glare back on my screen. Need to have enough voice. Alright, I think we're ready. You Here have okay? the voice. Yeah, I think All right. I'm ready. I am ready, man. Go ahead, get your stories. Today on Before Coffee, Science Weekly. Europe's carbon bomb, petrochemical plant, can it be stopped? Fox to hand over documents for second voting machine lawsuit. A lot of news in Ukraine today. Ukrainian journals killed by Russian snipers in ambush near, near Kyrgyzstan. Releasing leaks suspect and national security risk, feds say. UK company set up in name of top Putin official in Ukraine. And in We Remember Harry Belafonte. Today, April 27th, 2023 edition of Before Coffee. All right, for my first story, I think it's actually a podcast, but maybe in the podcast they link to an actual news because I don't want to listen to a podcast. <laughs> oh, it's such a it's such an interesting such an interesting topic though, but I guess it's now only a podcast. That sucks. Well, I'll go find another instance of it, I guess. What was my first story? Oh, here we go. Up. Europe's All biggest right. petrochemical plant in 30 years is a carbon bomb. This was from Sandra Laville from The Guardian. Environmental groups challenge decisions to approve a 3.5 billion INEOS facility in Antwerp. Then it will make a climate crisis worse. Oh. That happened. You lost the story? No, no, uh... 
some reason, okay. We're fine, I'll just leave that. Um, the biggest petrochemical plant will build, to be built in Europe in 30 years will be a carbon bomb that will worsen the climate crisis and threaten human life. Environmental groups include NGO Client Earth will argue in court. Filled by ethane from shale gas fracking in the United States, the cracking plant to be built in Antwerp by Sir Jim Ratcliffe's company, Ineos, will create ethylene and contribute directly to huge increases in plastic production on a scale not seen in Europe, they argue. Increased global heating, pollution from plastic pellets, excessive nitrogen deposits, particularly in protected natural areas, and the health implications of increased air pollution from the cracking plant are all cited as serious negative effects of the plant going on ahead. Plant Earth and its partners, which include organizations fighting plastic pollution, say the permit for the plant failed to take into account indirect climate effects as required by EU legislation. They said the greenhouse gas emission created by the plastic production from the ethylene have not been mapped out completely. The NGOs argue the Antwerp authorities, which granted the permit in 2021, failed to consider the plant's lifetime greenhouse gas emissions as well as the damage nitrogen pollution would wreak on local wildlife, that, and that, as a result, the approval was illegal under EU national laws. Using intense heat and pressure, the plant will crack the bonds in ethane gas to create ethylene, which can then be turned into polyethylene to make packaging and plastic bottles. Client Earth argues the main consumer of the ethylene product at the plant will be Enios' manufacturing Belgium, which produces consumer plastic and in 2018 obtained a permit to expand its plastic production to 780,000 tons a year. That's a lot of plastic. Bengio says scientific evidence of the harmfulness of plastic to human health, biodiversity, and climate is increasingly compelling. United Nations says the impact of plastic production and pollution on planetary crisis, climate change, nature loss, and pollution are catastrophic in the making. The Dutch border lies 2.5 miles or 4 kilometers from the plant. Separately, the authorities in Zeeland and North Brabant are challenging the granting of the permit to Ineos. Yeah, because that place is actually very well known for its clean air. Zeeland is right by the coast. It's the original name of New Zealand. In 2019, Ineos billionaire owner announced the company had secured $3.5 billion in financing for Project One at a signing ceremony with the top Flemish politicians. We'll become stronger in Europe as a petrochemicals player, said Ratcliffe at the time. We're a planet that won't exist because we have helped kill it. Uh, that's not what you said. But yeah. who cares? If, who cares how much money you're going to make when there's nobody to sell your plastic to? Ineos says the plant would be the most environmentally sustainable cracker in Europe. You know, you know, oh, he's not a murderer because he only killed one guy. It's not like he's a serial killer who killed 20. <laughs> That's still bad. Um, environmentally sustainable people who create plastic. Um, the flexible design of the plant also means that it will be able to utilize carbon capture and electrification when these technologies mature. The company says, The Guardian has approached Ineos for further comment. The hearing will take place to the Council of Permit Disputes, known as the Road Vor Verkhunings Bet Wistichen in Flemish. <laughs> yeah, I can use my Dutch knowledge. Alright, uh, your next story. So you guys are... You guys are having trouble with Belgium again, are you? Well, I wouldn't say that, but yeah. 
Isn't that like a lawless little land next to everybody else that doesn't have their own functioning government? No, they have a, no. The thing that's special about the thing that's special about Belgium that they have Wallonia, which is mostly French speakers, French and then they have Flanders, which is mostly Dutch speakers, and they're the only country in the world that is like a successful union of two different cultures. There has been initiatives for Flanders to rejoin the Netherlands and for Wallonia to rejoin France, but the problem is that France does not want Wallonia because they're poor. They're like the poor part of the country. They have nothing to offer, right? They're just more land of poor people. And then, of course, Flanders, which is has Antwerp and Brussels, is very rich. So the Netherlands would just gain more capital, right? So it's not a fair trade to give France the poor people, so to say. That's the argument, anyways. So they're basically together. They're forced together by their neighbors, right? Because France doesn't want Wallonia. And Flanders, like, if they just abandon Wallonia, right? You'll just have, like, half a country. But, uh, so they're the only successful union of two people who typically don't usually... This doesn't, doesn't happen, a, right? That doesn't mean they have a working government. They're oh, they, I don't know. I guess they that's do. What I, that's what I... That's I, what I well, like, I guess there is a famous uh, joke that Brussels just talks all day and never actually successfully passes any laws, right? They just well, make compromises point. to the point where nothing happened. That's the point I was making was Antwerp will pass something and this, the, the country doesn't even have to approve of it. Antwerp's going to want to go because, hey, at least we made a decision. Now, reverse our decision if you can. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, all right. So, next story. I guess, our, our, maybe, are we? Next story? Yeah, you're free to go. All right. That's my reading voice. Fox to hand over two documents for second voting machine lawsuit. I'm trying to make this quick. Uh, yeah, it's not that long. All right. Fox News agreed Wednesday to hand over thousands of documents to voting machine company Smartmatic, which is suing the network for defamation in a case similar to the Dominion voting machine just settled last week. Smartmatic says Fox bears financial responsibility for airing false allegations that the company rigged the 2020 presidential election against former President Donald Trump. Last week, Fox agreed to play Dominion need $800 million to avert the trial, although the ultimate cost to the media company is likely to be much lower. And of course, there's a tax deduction you pay for uh, a settlement like that, too. So a taxpayer's gonna eat that. That's kind of Mmm, delicious. Yeah, mmm, love it. 30% of that 800 million. Smartmatic wants 2.7 billion judgment, which is far exceeds 1.6 Dominion sought in its suit. No date has been set, and the case might not go to court for a couple of years. Smartmatic said in the court filings that Fox slow rolled its production of transcripts and other material that were created during the Dominion lawsuit. And the Smartmatic had received a small fraction of more than 52,000 documents that are requested as part of the discovery process. Among the documents Smartmatic hopes the bolster's case are deposited. Deposition transcripts from Fox founder Rupert Murdoch and his son Lachlan Murdoch, as well as documents related to the company executive Raj Shah and lawyer Viet Din. In a statement, Fox said it was ready to defend itself in this case surrounding extremely newsworthy events. Extremely newsworthy. 
made a story up. As a, repo as a report paired, repaired for a financial expert shows, Smartmatic's damages claims are implausible, disconnected from reality, and on its face intended to chill First Amendment freedoms. No, First Amendment does not mean you get to lie. The Dominion case pulled back the curtain on how Fox and its air personalities, including Sean Hannity, Janine Pirro, Maria Bartiromo, and now fired Tucker Carlson. How do those other idiots still have jobs? Promoted conspiracy theories and Trump's baseless effort to overturn the election. Again, baseless. How is that news? The network suffered an array of embarrassing revelations from emails that showed Fox executives and personalities saying they knew the accusations untrue, even as the falsehoods were aired on programs. Yeah. Because, because Florida-based Smartmatic machines were only used in Los Angeles during the 2020 election, the company had little influence on the presidential race. Still, Fox's on-air personality sometimes co-flated Dominion and Smartmatic. Oh yeah, sometimes it caused this in Los Angeles, where we lost by eighty <laughs> percent. That was the reason. Okay, the big old election in Los Angeles. That was the big presidential. That was the you know that was the what do they call it? The swing state. I don't think so. Just complete nonsense. Yeah, seriously, if you believe anything Fox says, you're just stupid. I don't care who you're listening to this. You're stupid if you believe Fox News. You're just stupid. You don't know how to research things for yourself. Smartmatic's lawyer, Eric Conley, has said the Dominion case exposed some of the misconduct and damage caused by Fox's misinformation campaign. Smartmatic will expose the rest. Well, again, they got two years to leak this shit. And that's why Fox is not going to give them as much as they want. They're going to drag it out. And again, Fox is really going to have some problems get hiring personalities. As soon as, as uh, I guess the ratings are out, as soon as they fired Tucker Carlson, the ratings for Newsmax, which is the uh, rival right-wing news, fake news organization, the viewing for, since Tar Tucker Carlson went off the air, the viewing for Newsmax went up five, five times, five-fold. So all of the people at Fox at once, just to go listen to somebody else lie to them. Yeah. We need a better liar. Oh, yeah, Newsmax. I got liars. Let's listen <laughs> it up. I know, the just the person for this. Exactly. They'll know exactly what I want to hear. Go ahead. Your turn. All right. In Ukrainian news, we've got some snipers taking out journalists because you know how it is journalists who spread the word of truth are the most dangerous people in the world they cause death of millions and they need to be taken out with a sniper initiative yeah, Bogdan yeah. Bitik was working as a fixer for Corrado Zunulian Italian correspondent for La Repubblica who was wounded wasn't even a Ukrainian journalist just like an Italian guy yeah. or working for an Italian uh, newspaper or journal, whatever. La Republica. A Ukrainian journalist working for reporters La Republica has been shot dead by Russian snipers in southern Ukraine while his Italian colleague was injured, the Italian newspaper said on Wednesday. Today, our correspondent Corrado Zunino and his fixer Bogdan Bitik were victims of an ambush near the bridge in Kyrgyzstan by Russian snipers on the outskirts of Kyrgyzstan 
Pearson in southern Ukraine. Bitik unfortunately did not make it and died. He leaves behind his wife and son, Corrado, who, wounded in his shoulder, is the civil in the civil hospital in Kyrson. Dunino, who had extensively covered the conflict, told La Repubblica he had been wearing a bulletproof vest with press written on it when the reporters were attacked. I'm well. I've got a wound in my right shoulder shaped by a bullet that hit my great friend Bogdan, he said. I saw Bogdan on the ground. He wasn't moving. I crawled until I got out of the line of fire. I ran until I came across a civilian's car. I was covered in blood. I got myself taken to the hospital in Kyrson. I tried several times to call Bogdan. He didn't answer. He was a great friend of mine. The pain is excruciating. It's difficult to recover Bittik's body at the moment due to the presence of the snipers, La Repubblica said. The Italian Foreign Minister Antonio Tajani said his ministry and the Italian embassy in Kyiv were working with the Ukrainian authorities on the returning Zunino to Italy. At least 12 journalists and media workers have been killed in Ukraine since the beginning of the invasion and 18 injured, according to the International Federation of Journalists. Most of them were Ukrainian. But this is totally just to free people from Nazis and the, the Russians living in Ukraine. It's not anti-Ukrainian uh, invasion or anything. Yeah, let's kill all the Ukrainians, including the journalists. They cannot tell the truth while the Russians continue their, their spread of their pro-war propaganda about how everything's going great and we're gonna win. Yeah, the Ukrainian journalists truly are the most dangerous um, part of Ukraine. Because they spread the, they tell the truth about Ukraine winning the war, or winning battles, I suppose. You ought to read uh, the Russian propaganda, the Russian government's official response to Tucker Carlson getting fired. Like, the foreign minister made a statement. The United States is suppressing free press. The United States is not doing this. His boss fired him, dude. His boss. His fucking boss <laughs> Remember, we, we, we barely have state-ordained news service, yeah. so... <laughs> Don't worry. Don't worry, assholes. Fox News is on your side. Tucker Carlson's just a scumbag. We can get, get along with anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Even the people that he supposedly agreed with. He doesn't agree with them. He just was doing it for money. Come on, man. <laughs> he's doing whatever... I mean, he's doing whatever will get him ratings. Unlike the many journalists here in Ukraine who are just trying to report on what's happening in the country in a war that's actually serious instead of Oh my god, they're gonna destroy Christmas or whatever the fuck people on Fox News complain about. Uh, in May 2022, the French journalist Frederick Leclerc Imhoff, 32, was killed after an armored evacuation vehicle in which he was traveling was hit by shrapnel from a Russian shell in the city of Yervirodonetsk in eastern Ukraine. One week after the start of the war, Ev. Jenny Sakun, a Ukrainian cameraman for the local TV station Kyiv Live TV, was killed when a Russian missile was fired at the Kyiv television tower on the 1st of March. Oh, I remember when that happened. About 10 days later, Brent Renaud, an award-winning American filmmaker and journalist who had worked for a number of American news and media organizations in the past, including mm. HBO, NBC, and New York Times, was killed while reporting in the suburb of Kyiv. So, I mean, there is always a risk of this happening but it is sad to see it happen because battle zones be like that uh your story people of russia will never find out any of this that's the thing about them they had a chance man they were a free society for a little while 
when Boris Yeltsin was there. But Putin wormed his way, and as soon as Yeltsin was done, it was he just seized all that power, and they've become a oligarchy ever since. All right, my turn. Mm -hmm. my, my headline: Releasing leak suspect a national security risk. Feds say federal prosecutors were urged Thursday urge a judge Thursday to keep behind bars Massachusetts Air National Guardsmen accused of leaking highly classified military documents. Arguing he may still have access to secret national and defense information he could still expose. In court papers filed late Wednesday, the Justice Department lawyer said releasing 21-year-old Jack Teixeira from jail while he awaits trial would be a grave threat to U.S. national security. Investigators are still trying to determine whether he kept any physical or digital copies of classified information, including files that haven't already surfaced publicly, they wrote. There simply is no condition or combination of conditions that can assure the defendant will not further disclose additional information still in his knowledge or possession. The damage the defendant has already caused to U.S. national security is immense. The damage the defendant is still capable of causing is extraordinary. A detention hearing is scheduled for Thursday in the federal court of Worcester, Massachusetts for Teixeira, who has been in jail since his arrest earlier this month on charges stemming from the highest profile intelligence leak, intelligence leak in years. Prosecutors said in their filing that Teixeira's attorneys have indicated they will urge the judge to release him from his father's home. As of late Wednesday, Teixeira's attorneys hadn't filed the court papers arguing for his release. Teixeira has been charged under the Espionage Act with unauthorized detention of the transmission of classified national defense information. He has not yet entered a plea, and his attorney declined after last week's hearing to speak to reporters. He accused, he's accused of distributing highly classified documents about top national security issues in the chat room on Discord, a social media platform that started as a hangout for gamers. The leak stunned hey, military officials, sparked international uproar and raised fresh questions about America's ability to safeguard the secrets. In describing Teixeira's dangerous community, prosecutors wrote that the suspect, who owned multiple guns and repeatedly had detailed and troubling discussions about violence and murder on the platform, where authorities said he shared the documents. In February, he told another person that he attempted to make a minivan into an assassination van. So not only this guy is a espionage agent, He's a potential mass murderer. Prosecutors also disclosed that Teixeira was suspended during high school when a classmate overheard him discussing Molotov cocktails and other weapons and racial threats. So he got us a white nationalist who is giving away military secrets. And he's got lots of guns. Prosecutors alleged that filing that Teixeira took steps to destroy evidence after news outlets began reporting on the documents leaks. Authorities who searched a dumpster at his home found a smashed laptop, tablet, and Xbox gaming console, they said. Well, nobody really wants to smash those things unless they're really poor losers, right? Teixeira detention hearing was supposed to be last week, but delayed the last minute. Defense attorney said he needed more time to address the issues presented by the government's request for detention. Well, you got lots of time, buddy. You're going to be sitting there for a while. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a long time before your lawyer's going to rationalize letting you lose. Your turn. <laughs> letting you lose. Well, yeah. Right. They don't even want him on home detention. Yeah, whatever. Go live your life, Kate. 
It would just have made a little silly mistake. Boy, people are stupid these days. I'm just a kid. You're 21. Huh. Oh. Uh, I'm 21? Yeah. Yeah, you're 21. Ugh. I'm just a kid. Nope, you're 21. You had, you had at least, you had at least five years from 16, right? Figure some, figure out the, the kind of common sense, this is bad stuff, and you this failed. Is kind of, this is the kind of people our military is attracting these days. People that have no freaking clue. Alright, go ahead. I'm here to start. Alright. Uh, in more Ukrainian news, a UK company is found to actually be one of the one of the owners is found to be one of the friends of Putin. Vladimir Saldo, a notorious puppet of the Kremlin in the southern Ukrainian city of Kyrgyzstan, is listed as the owner of a UK company registered in November, five months after his name was added to the sanctions list. Wow, those sanctions are sure working out well, aren't they? <laughs> when they... Um, the UK government, yeah, the UK government has made economic pressure a central part of its attempts to undermine Putin's war, even though they have a treaty with Ukraine to defend its borders. That's not in the article, but that's a fact that they had a treaty. <laughs> they have a treaty with the Ukraine. Like I think it was, if they gave up all their nuclear weapons, the UK would protect them. And then what happened? Oh, we'll just stop some people from making money. <laughs> thanks, you. Yeah. Thanks the UK. That'll help. Results of the famous chicken Kiev negotiations of yeah. George Bush, right? Yeah. George Bush was worried about n loose nukes. So he let Russia control what Ukraine did because he was afraid <laughs> Russia was going to let him loose. So Russia kind of lost their, what is it? I don't know. Ru I mean, Ukraine kind of lost its uh, negotiation power in that. You know? Yeah. Because George Bush, when the Berlin Wall fell and Soviet Union collapsed, he said, well, it's more important to keep uh, loose nooks in Ukraine's, uh, what's it, uh, what do you call it when you're a free country? Democracy? <laughs> no, no, when you're an independent free country. Third world? Independent and free does not mean three, third world. I have no idea what you're talking about, but I'm talking about totally, I'm talking about the UK, not America, so I have no idea Ukraine, what you're no. All I'm saying, UK, you think they weren't part of that? They were part of it. They're all part of it. They said, okay, you can handle what happens in Ukraine, and Russia took that as, that's our country too. So, yeah. I'm sorry. Go back. Either way, um, I just thought it was funny that the UK thinks sanctions as being its most primary attempt stop the war is useful when they can't even catch when one person has basically made a new company in November, right? <laughs> Who's actually one of the puppets of Putin, so to say. Um, Sovereign's the word. Sovereign. But more than a year after the invasion, proposals that would have made it a crime for people under sanctions to set up UK companies have yet to become a law. In June 2022, the government imposed a freeze on any UK assets Saldo owns and banned it from entering the country. British officials accused him of promoting policies and action which stabilize Ukraine and undermine and threaten the territorial integrity and sovereignty of the independence of Ukraine. Yet, since November, he has listed as the proprietor of a British company with an address in Hatton Garden, District of Central London. The company's house, UK Corporate Registry, does not require proof of identity when people form companies. Saddle did not respond to questions about his involvement in the company, Grain Holding LTD. But his entry on the sanction list has been updated since Grain Holding was re registered to draw in details from the company's own 
Corporation documents suggesting that the UK authorities were aware of its existence and regarded the paperwork as genuine. The company documents say Green Holding has 1 million in capital, with Saldo owning half the shares and another Ukrainian the rest. According to the independent news site Medusa, Saldo is the most influential regional politician to support Russia's occupation of southern Ukraine. He got man in his 60s, he has been Kirsten's mayor for 10 years before being elected in 2012 to the National Parliament for the party of the pro-Russian president, Viktor Yanukovych. Saldo's political career later waned. In 2016, he was accused of cutting deals with Russian intelligence, but no charges were, re were resulted in that. When Russian Troops surged into Ukraine in February 2022. Kirshen was a prize. It formed as part of the land bridge linking Russia to Crimea. Within weeks, Saldo had been named head of the region's military civilian administration. He has presided over rampant looting. Before the city fell, Saldo responded by shepherding civilians to the area still under Russian control, where he announced the construction of a new town. The house he left behind was searched by Ukrainian police. He has been charged with treason to Ukraine. Saldo's personal business interests are reported to range from construction to manufacture of a yoga kit. The entry of the official UK registry for grain holding, the company founded with Saldo as illicit owner, suggests he may have been expanded into Ukraine's lucrative trade in agricultural pool commodities. Yeah, seeing as that's a big problem right now. There's no suggestion that Saldo or grain holding has been involved in corruption or money laundering. However, the fact that the firm was created in the name of Putin's official sanctions raises wider questions about the lack of oversight of UK companies. Mm. Yeah, no kidding. Even if Saldo's grain holding stake or its assets were frozen, simply possessing a UK company could have benefits for foreign owners, said Tom Main, a research fellow at the University of Oxford who specializes in former Soviet Union. It confers a sense of legitimacy, having a UK company that can be used elsewhere to move money. It gives you the keys to gateway getaway car by allowing you to access our company registration system. So, uh, maybe they should uh, definitely ask who you are when you register a company. But I guess that's for ease of access, right? They they want a bunch of companies to exist so they can brag about how, oh yeah, London has has billions of companies register every day. Look, we're so popular. More companies should come here. So by making it easier to register as a company, you're attracting more people and more capital. So, but in in turn, you're totally. Provoking the the harsh strength of your sanctions law. That is it even into law yet? It's been a year, and they still have actually made it an actual law. Yeah, strange things happen to these governments sometimes. They they actually feel like they're the chamber of commerce, and the only thing that matters is money. How much money they can raise? Yeah. And, oh, well, business is good. Oh my, uh, this day in history link doesn't work. Well, n um, next story or? Yep, you're ready to go. Here's a tribute to Harry Belafonte. I'm from the New York Times, and it's written by reporter Wesley Morris. One of the many job titles you can lay on Harry Belafonte, singer, actor, entertainer, talk show host, activist, the one that nails what he has become to me is folk hero. Not, not a title one puts on a business card or let's say on a Twitter bio. Folk hero is a description that accrues over time out of its significance. You're doing those other jobs when suddenly what you're doing matters to people, to your people, to your country. Belafonte was a folk hero in that way. Not just the most dynamic or distinctive actor or singer or dancer you'll ever come across. 
Yet, the cool, frank, charismatic, seemingly indefatigable, indefatigable cat who, who died on Tuesday at age 96 had something else, something as crucial. He was, in his way, a people person. He understood how to reach, teach, and challenge them, how to keep them honest, how to dedicate his fame to politics and accountability more tenaciously than any star or civil rights era of the civil rights era, era or in its wake. The form of this sort of moral transformation probably should have been the movies, but the Hollywood of that area would tolerate a single black person and ultimately it chose Sidney Poitier, Belafonte's soulmate, sometimes soulmate, and fellow Caribbean American. Belafonte did not make did make a handful of movies in the beginning of his career, Odds Against Tomorrow, a naturalist film noir from 1959 is the meatiest of them, and his last picture for more than a decade too. Portier became the movie star during a dial stretch for his country, Belafonte became a folk hero. It began, of course, with the songs, and that actual folk music, well with Belafonte's interpolation, which its varied guises and acoustic singing with black spiritual arrangements and the sounds of the islands. He took his best-selling music on the road to white audience who would pay a lot of money to watch him perform from his million-selling album Calypso and the the one with the Deo yeah. a major part of his of his knowing people was knowing that they watched TV and rather than simply translate his hot ticket cabaret act for American living rooms, Belafonte imagined something stranger and more alluring. In 1959, he somehow got CBS to broadcast Tonight with Belafonte, an hour-long studio performance that starts with a live commercial for Revlon. It melts from the gleaming blonde actor Barbara Britton into the sight of a black man amid shadows with great big chains. They're pantomiming hard labor while Belafonte belts a viscous version of bald-headed woman. The whole hour is just short of chilling. Percussive work songs, big bottom, big bottom gospel, moaning blues, dramatically spare sets that imply segregation and incarceration. The weaker, the weather system that called herself Odetta. Belafonte never makes a direct speech about injustice. He trusts the songs and stagecraft to speak for themselves. We gotta do something about Odetta. Nobody talks about her. Uh, Elvis's favorite singer, Odetta. Bob Dylan's favorite singer, Odetta. The, the bleaker my acting prospects looked, Belafonte wrote in my song, his memoir from 2011, the more I threw myself into political organization, that organizing took family familiar forms, marches, protests, rallies. He helped underwrite the civil rights movement, paid for freedom rides. He maintained a life insurance policy on the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, with Coretta Scott King as a beneficiary because Dr. King didn't believe he could afford it. The building he bought at 300 West End Avenue in Manhattan in front of the 21-room palace seemed to double as the movement's New York City headquarters. Martin began drafting his anti-war speech in my apartment, said uh, Belafonte. So yes, Belafonte was near the psychic core and administrative center of the movement. 
But those bleak Hollywood prospects, some incalculable combination of racism and two raw talent kept Belafonte uniquely earthbound, doing a kind of cultural organizing. It wasn't the movies that kept him in so many people's lives these many days, though he never stopped acting altogether. Best of all in a handful of Robert Altman films, particularly Kansas City in 1996. His organizing happened in TV where he was primarily featured throughout the 1960s. And his political reach was arguably as penetrating as his, soul, as his soulmates on a variety of shows where he produced that introduced America to Gloria Lynn and Odetta and John Lewis. There was also that week in February 1968 when Johnny Carson handed his Tonight Show over to Belafonte. The national mood had sunk into an infernal tumult driven by the Vietnam War and exasperation with racist neglect for starters. Whether black substitute host of a popular talk show was an antidote for malaise or a provocative reflection of it, Belafonte went beyond the chummy ribbing that was Carson's forte. He was probing. His guests that week included Poitier, Lena Horne, Bill Cosby, Paul Newman, Wilt Chamberlain, and the Smothers Brothers, Zero Mostel, and months before they were murdered, Robert F. Kennedy and Dr. King. Belafonte turned the famous Sorry, Belafonte turned the famous into false, mixing their frippery of the format with the gravitas of the moment. Paul Robeson preceded Belafonte in an activism partly born of artistic frustration. Robeson's pursuit of racial equality for everybody went in persecution and immensuration and derailed his career. He personally warned Belafonte and Poitier of damaging the toll. Damage he told this country will take on black artists who believe their art and celebrity ought to do more than dazzle and distract. Belafonte watched the American government drag Robeson through hell and decided to drag white America to moral betterment in an arena that would have, in any arena that would have him somewhat out of respect for his elder. These arenas included everything from free to be, you and me, the Muppet Show to Spike Lee's Black Klansman, and on several in inedible occasions, Sesame Street. Okay, we can cut it short. There's a lot more paragraphs, but we get the idea. We Harry Fonte was a great American, was trying to stick his nose where all injustice is existed, and he's sorely missed. Your story. All right, speaking of uh, people who I think won't be that sorely missed, James Corden oh is ending his stint on the late late night the late late show where he and has popularized it through car carpool karaoke out of a out of after eight years of series of PR troubles. Corden, who is famous for being a British guy, who is very nice to celebrities and not very nice to wait staff, for example, Ooh. will be will be. This is just like the drama I know about, right? Um, yeah. Will not even be saying goodbye from his host chair in Los Angeles, but from his final installment of Carpool Karaoke. Though CBS will air a primetime special commemorating the British actors comedian's eight years as host for his final episode on Thursday, it's the show's signature segment in which a typically committed Corden and the celebrity guests enthusiastically belt out songs during the host's commute. That became an institution, the show's bulwark in an ever-jockeying field of late-night television. 
While Stephen Colbert, Seth Meyers, and Trevor Noah focused on political satire, Gordon's Late Late Show cultivated fun, fizzy celebrity. Because that's literally his personality. He loves mm. being like, I'm cool enough to hang out with these celebrities. Look how cool I am. I'm way cooler than you guys. Because I get He's to hang out boy. with these celebrities. I mean... I've I've done way too much reading into this him right like he, that's yeah. his personality is he wants to brag about how cool he is so of course get over it. his carpal yeah. character in particular typified and accelerated a wave of outlet specific series such as Vogue's 73 Question JQ's 10 Things You Can't Live Without or Jimmy Fallon's Many Tonight Show Games that form a secondary charisma press tour these celebrity friendly bits light in tone and heavy in personality became golden opportunities to showcase a star's capa capacity to be chummy and casual and slotted well into bite-sized consumption online it wasn't always this way in the final carpool karaoke an emotional bonding session with his close friend and typically brassy adele whose original 2016 installment notched over 260 million views on youtube series best, Gordon recalled how difficult it was to book anyone during the show's early days. No one would do it, he said. Everyone on the planet, Earth said no, but then suddenly, Mariah Carey said yes. Gordon's departure announced a year ago precipitated a season of change and contraction in late night television. Month after his announcement that he'd never want this show to overstay its welcome, PBS canceled Full Frontal with, with Samantha Bee. By the end of the year, Trevor Noah, who began his late night tenure the same year as Corden, ended his seven year run on The Daily Show. The late late show will end with Corden. CBS plans to fill his slop with a reboot of a game show at midnight. Oh, yeah, I remember that show. At midnight. I remember watching that a lot, actually. Really? That, that was on Comedy Central, wasn't yeah. it? CBS. Yeah. Good. It also arrived after a series of controversies over Corden's performances, persona off-screen, and behavior. First, there was a slew of questionable creative choices. The overall bomb that was Cats, Ryan Murphy's Netflix musical The Prom, in which Corden has won a Tony to widespread criticism for his flamboyantly mannered portrayal of a gay man. There was Amazon's Cinderella's flop starring Camila Cabello that Corden executive produced and promoted by stopping a traffic for a crosswalk the musical segment in which he hip-thrusted an onlooker in her car. Clips from the bit drew some, but put in mildly less than enthusiastic commentary online. Most prominently, there was Corden's dust-up last fall with Keith McNally, the owner of New York Hotspot Balthazar, who publicly banned, then reinstated the re- and then re-banned Corden. Double-banned. <laughs> okay, I'm banning you. Okay, you can come back. Actually, that was a mistake. You're banned again. <laughs> banned Corden from his restaurant after he claimed the host had been extremely nasty to staff on two separate occasions. Corden denied McNally's accusations detailed in several chaotic Instagram posts, though he eventually admitted on a show that while he didn't yell or use derogatory language, he had been ungracious to staff. Okay. Still, the back and forth prompted a wave of anonymous and unverified reports of Corden's rudeness on social media and resurfaced a 2017 video in which Corden, asked by Jimmy Kimmel to name two of his cameramen, pleaded the fifth. Literally didn't even uh -oh. know his own staff. The rumors wow. of the behavior that clashed with Corden's persona as an enthusiastic game-to-play host recalled similar hostile workplace rumors that married, marred Ellen DeGeneres' final year on her popular daytime show and hastened her departure last May after 19 years on air. Gordon has not said whether the rough PR waters also hastened the end of his time with the late night host. In his final karaoke ride with Adele, the two speak obliquely of negativity and career doldrums, but nothing specific. Gordon has publicly said he looks forward to returning to London with his wife. 
Julia, and their three children after a long, then expected stay in the U.S. If I'm honest, I thought it'd be canceled within six months. My wife and I rented furniture. I remember telling her the show will go canceled. That his last eight years is, depending on your view of Corden, a testament to either his appeal or the endurance of overexposure. But also credit to the show's indisputable claim on the late night celebrity ecosystem. Yeah, I have to say I did like the carpool karaoke episodes, but all of it is now just painted so badly. If you look for the signs of Corden secretly being an asshole, you can see it, right? It's not just the typical kind of British banter thing, right? You can, like, if you just pay attention to how his mannerism is speaking, you can tell that he's actually secretly an asshole. And so whenever I see anything with him, that's all I'm thinking. Like, this guy's such an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> he's yeah, such um, he's such a two-faced liar. That's all I can think when I see him now. So yeah, really, uh, um, yeah, he just seems like a fanboy, like you said. He's caught up in the celebrity, his celebrity mostly. And uh, I, he started off in the wrong. Oh, he replaced Craig Ferguson, who was actually really a great guy. <laughs> I like fucking Craig Ferguson. You just don't give a crap, and he was never prepared. But it was a great. Uh, so yeah. he was. A, he replaced the cult hero. And he couldn't, there's no way he could be Craig Ferguson, because Craig Ferguson was himself. It was like, yeah. he just wandered into the studio, and I don't know why I have a show. <laughs> James Corden was all full of himself, like, I can't believe it, I'm a little kid, I wandered into the studio, look at what I get to do. And he never got over that. It's like, yeah. you gotta get over that shit, right? You gotta, like, you know. And Jimmy Fallon suffers from that, too. He just, like, doesn't seem like he belongs there. <laughs> Interviewing people. It just he's never gonna ask my decent question ever you know jimmy fallon's like isn't it cool like he asked uh what did he ask jimmy this get uh, jimmy he asked a really stupid question to some celebrity had to handle it the best way possible it was, was it I'll like sexist it or something no it was about his friend dying oh jimmy, yeah, and jimmy uh asked it acted like a cute little background question like it wasn't a personal thing to his guest you know? yeah isn't it cute that that happened? Kind of thing. Oh yeah, it's real fucking cute. Let me get off this fucking show. You know? <laughs> he didn't say that, but he was nice about it. He got, went to the trouble of going, Oh, this guy's an idiot. This is what I do with idiots. I calmly explain things to him. Okay. <laughs> Alright, this day in history, uh, Britannica site crashed. So I'm going to the uh, History Channel site. So, well, it'll be an adventure of pop-up ads, I'm sure. Let's see. 1521, navigator Ferdinand Magellan killed in the Philippines. U.S. agent, in 1805, U.S. agent William Eaton leads U.S. forces to the shores of Tripoli. In 1994, South Africa holds first multiracial elections. So look, look at you, you're as old as a South Africa have an actual election. Yeah, I know, they... They uh, freed us. Fr they freed South Africa from the apartheid on around my birthday, even. Yes, and you you being born is what triggered it. Don't forget it. You're British welcome, Parliament South Africa. <laughs> In 1973, British Parliament passes Unpopular Tea Act, which was triggered, of course, the Boston Tea Party. Rocky Marciano retires as world heavyweight champion in 1956. In 1822, President Ulysses X. Grant is born. In 1813, explorer Zebulon Pike killed in battle. Famously, Pike's Peak is named after Zebulon Pike. Pike's Peak in Colorado. 1993, DA announces negligent caused, negligence caused the death of the Crow actor Brandon Lee. He shot himself in the head with a blank revolver. 
Mm-hmm. I remember that. Andrew Cunan begins his killing spree in 1997. I'm not familiar with that guy. I'm not going to look him up. I don't want to make him more famous. Unionian soldiers dying steamship explosion in 1865. And in 2009, GM announces its plans of phase out Pontiac. Now, no, this, Pontiac! History Channel does not give you famous birthdays, so I found a site that gives me like lots and lots, probably too many, so I'm gonna have to single out the big ones, I guess. Let's see, the ones that have pictures by them, let's do that. The ones that have pictures by them. Birthdays today, Mary Wollstonecraft, English writer and feminist. She was born in 1759. Mother of Mary Shelley, who we know as wrote Frankenstein. Uh, Samuel Morse is born this day in 1791. He invented the telegraph and Morse code. Dot, dot, dash, dash, dot, 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 dash. Herbert Spencer, British philosopher, was born in 1820. And this day, not related to Diane Spencer. I looked that up. Princess Di. Might have been. Probably related to her. Ulysses S. Grant. Was born in this day. We already covered that. Draza Mahalovic, Mahalovic, a Serbian Mahalovic. World War II war hero and war criminal. War hero and war criminal. That's a tough road to hoe, right? Oh, my. Depends what side you're on, basically. Yeah, exactly. Born in Ivanjica, Serbia. Rogers Hornsby, American Hall of Fame second baseman in baseball, was born in this day in 1896. Leo Deagle. American golfer was born in Detroit, Michigan, and never heard of him in 1899. Dennis Slaughter, another famous baseball player, born in 1960. Jack Klugman, American actor, born in 1922. Sheila Scott, English everybody, born in 1927. Casey Kasem, hey, it's Casey Kasem's birthday. I can end the show as Casey Kasem today. I'll try to work on my combination. Happy birthday, Casey Kasem. And days of the year, it's National Prime Rib Day. Hello, I'm there. I'm there. <laughs> Hell yeah. And <laughs> it's Marine Mammal Rescue Day. Rescue a dolphin, eat some prime rib. And thank you Thursday. Thank you. Thank you. It's thank, thank you. you Thursday, everybody. And thank it's you. National <laughs> It's National Tell the Story Day. National Tell the Story Day today. So and we've done a couple of those today already. Yeah, we've told a lot of stories. All right, that's it for this my section of the broadcast. <laughs> All right, well, this has been Allison from the Netherlands talking about Ukraine, as usual, and, of course, how sanctions, while coming from a good place, I think are completely useless. We'll see you next time, tomorrow, on Friday. You have a good Thursday, and we'll see you then. And this is Casey Kasem signing off. For week four coffee. And remember, keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. On April 27th, 2023. That's kind of his speech pattern. It only sounds exactly like Casey Kasem. Happy birthday. Be sure to hit the like, subscribe, and notify buttons, and follow our other channels, Toxic Alley, History of Gravy, and Scratchy Old Records.